Eric Von Crumley. And I'm Romy Reyes. Have you ever wondered how a book becomes a movie? Or how a movie becomes a musical? Or how anything is adapted at all? Join us as we talk about your favorite stories and all the changes that were made along the way. But more importantly, why? This is Willing to Adapt. Hi, welcome back to Willing to Adapt. I'm Eric Von Crumley. And I'm Romy Reyes. And I'm excited to get to this one. So tell me, what are we going to be going over today, Romy? It's this little known kid series oh, little known. called go- 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 Goosebumps. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. Oh, I think I think I might have heard of it. Yes, I have a note here. In fact, that it's something about that millennials loved. <laughs> Is that true? I guess you're not a millennial. I'm not a millennial. In fact, when Goosebumps came out, I, honestly, this was a little difficult for me. Mm. Goosebumps came out when I was in high school. So for wow. me, it was always a kid's thing. Mm, I see. Yeah, but I, I could tell from the day you- But you've been proven wrong again, right? No, it's definitely <laughs> still a kid's thing. It's no Edgar Allan Poe it's fun, or- though. It was, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised that I, I enjoyed the story. It was a lot deeper than I thought it was gonna be. Well, they're not all like that, no. That's what, I, that's what I've read, yeah. Well, before we get too much deeper, how are you doing, Romy? <laughs> I'm doing good. Yeah? So What's far, new with you? Uh, not much. I no. have a sl- besides a, a slight little cough that I'm trying to get rid of, so oh. forgive me if I... It's the time of year, though. It is. It is. Yeah. I, I haven't gotten it yet, which means after this episode, I'll probably be sick. Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not. I was sick, I think, about four weeks ago, so I'm not, I'm not contagious, mm. but the cough, it's one of those things where the cough just continues. I'm always the last in my family to get sick. Ah, I hold yeah. out really well, and then after everybody's been sick and is healthy again, I get sick randomly. Hopefully you don't get sick. It's okay. Yeah. I just get a strong immune system, you know. That's what I say. All these parents who mm-hmm. who coddle their children's immune systems. Of I course. Sh- yes. You just be like Dwight from The Office. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of right now. All right. So you did not grow up with Goosebumps because you said it for you, it was a kid thing. It was a kid thing. Yes. And I'm a little bit younger than you. So mm-hmm. um, I was born in 93 and I. Wow. Uh, so. Yes. I mean, I knew. I, I just never thought about the year. But well, I think the first book came out in 92. So. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So it was it was already established then. Right. By the time. How old were you when you became acquainted with uh, the books in the TV series? I didn't know there was a TV show okay. for a long time. Oh, I stumbled wow. onto it back when there used to be Fox Kids, yes. the, the channel, mm-hmm. which is long gone. Yeah. But I stumbled onto it once as a kid. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how old I was. I was young enough to be scared by it, but um, also intrigued. Oh, okay. But because, you know, with anything kind of scary, there's something about it that you're interested in, but you also are sometimes appalled. Yeah. But I was introduced to the books first. I I was in elementary school. I I would just be in classrooms or the library, and I would just stumble onto a Goosebumps book, and the cover is what gets you. Have you looked at any of those covers? I vaguely remember them from working in the bookstore, and or from like the Scholastic Book Fair when they would sell uh, or put out the catalogs. And so I I remember in reading uh, one of the articles, I did notice that they often would reference how the covers were scarier than the stories. Oh, okay. Well, that's one of the things that I stumbled on in my research and listening to other people 
is um, well, Tim Jacobus was the artist for the covers. Okay, and apparently he had very little turnaround time when it came to making the covers. Oh, okay. And he was given most of the time just a very brief synopsis of the story. Hmm. And usually the book wasn't even finished. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And so he would have to come up with the covers without any idea what the majority of the book might be sometimes. Hmm. So today we're talking about The Haunted Mask. Yes. Um, I think real quick, I wanted to, to talk a bit about the Goosebumps in general. Mm-hmm. They apparently didn't really do well at first when they oh. were first released. Interesting. Um, there was apparently no advertising or marketing for the books. And Arl Stein would release a book every two months, and it eventually became popular, but only because kids were telling their friends about it. Kids would read it and go, this was good, you have to read this. And so then it just became super popular, and then, and then he started busting out books once a month. Is it? I read somewhere there was about 200 and something? Oh, there's so many now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Apparently... Now he doesn't even come up with plots. He just comes up with titles. <laughs> and he comes up with the title and he thinks, well, that would make an interesting story. And then he comes up with a story. So the copy I downloaded because I, I didn't want to purchase. It's not something I desired to have in my physical library. You didn't even get the Kindle version? I got the Kindle okay, version. I was gonna no, say. I did get the Kindle version. And there was, what do you call it? Like an excerpt of an upcoming book that uh, Terrorland number four. And it's going to, in fact, be a sequel Oh, there's so many now. The Haunted Mask. But there was going to be a Haunted Mask sequel. So I... Well, there is a sequel to The Haunted Mask. Well, are you talking about on on the show or book-wise? Okay. Both. Because I know that I saw that on the Netflix. I w- that's where I watched it. And there, w- I did actually watch the sequel on Netflix. <laughs> so, yeah. It's not as good, but it's good. It, yeah. I'm, I was happy they got back the main actress. Yeah. I agree. Uh, just real quick. The Goosebumps novels are just the main thing Arlstein is known for. Mm-hmm. He also wrote the Fear Street books, which are geared more towards teenagers. Okay. And I think he, he started writing those before Goosebumps. Hmm. And apparently he didn't even really want to write Goosebumps. Yeah. But his editors, including his wife, um, <laughs> basically said, this is an untapped market. You need to start writing for these kids. Eh? And it worked. I think the one thing that I laughed at the most is that he originally started writing comedy way back when. Really? Yes. He was known as Jovial Bob. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and then he wrote a book. I don't remember the name of it now, but he wrote a book that was a horror book and it was super popular. Mm-hmm. And so he just switched. He's like, okay, I guess I'm writing horror stories now. I seeing him at the intros of or the intro of the episode i can't picture him as a comedian he was so deadpan oh he is ridiculously dead yes, i was like okay i mean i feel like i could see it i mean that's just I, you know? I guess yeah I, I there are comedians mm-hmm. that come across that way so yeah so the apparently arlstein actually considers this book and the tv episodes his favorite yes i did read that yeah mm-hmm. i found that in many locations so it must be correct. <laughs> so when did you first read the book? Was it for this podcast? It was for this podcast. Got yes. it. And so did you also watch the episode just for this podcast? Yes, I did. Got it. Yeah. Look, at, I'm just getting you to do things for me all the time now. You know? When it comes to this these, this podcast, I'm willing to, as long as I said, in one of our previous ones, as long as it's not Dan Brown, I'm good. Oh, yeah. That was a while back. <laughs> 
All right. Or Twilight. Twilight. No. Wow. <laughs> the danger of this podcast is that along the lines we might have to do that. I know. I'll tell you this right now. If we end up having to do do Twilight, uh-huh. we're just going to do the first one. Okay. Thank <laughs> I, you. I Please. refuse to do any more than just the first one. So I'll give you a brief synopsis of the book. I got this from the website Bloody Disgusting. Got to give credit. Carly Beth is a scaredy cat. Everyone thinks so. Her best friend Sabrina, her little brother Noah, and especially Steve and Chuck, the two boys at school who spend their time trying to torment her. And when these two boys put a worm in her sandwich and the whole school cafeteria laughs at her out of the room, she decides it's time for revenge. Once home, Carly Beth discovers her mother's created a plaster cast of her own face, painted with lifelike detail. And yet, there's something about the delicate nature of her features and the fragility of the piece that further sparks Carly Beth's desire to be the opposite of how she's perceived. She wants to be scary, terrifying even. Carly Beth wants to inflict fear onto the world that's always been so keen on frightening her, especially Steve and Chuck. Carly Beth finds herself in in a new costume shop in town as Halloween night falls. Desperate for a mask as scary as her imagination can fathom, it's in the back room of the shop that she finally sees it. A hideous mask housed with several others, all demented in their own grotesque ways. Despite the protests from the owner of the shop, he finally concedes and lets her take the mask. When she wears it, she feels powerful. Her physical form seems to to adjust to meet the mask's odd shape, and all who encounter her are petrified. It's everything Carly Beth wanted, but it changes her. She steadily grows as cruel as the fear she's eliciting, and as the night draws on, she might lose more than her friends. All too quickly, Carly Beth comes to realize that this particular mask doesn't come off when you pull at its seams. That is, if there are any seams at all. So, what did you think of the book? That was actually, I love that article. Uh, I, I also read that one. Um, I, I, I think I'm always finding these unique things, and, and then no. No, his analysis was really was was interesting. Overall, I so since okay, so I started with the novel, of course, uh, and I read. I don't even know. If, is it really a novel? It's like a no, no, no. It's a book. It's a book. It's a chapter book. Isn't that what they call these things for kids? <laughs> I'm reading chapter books now. Yes. Anyway, uh, so I I read about halfway through, watched the show. And then stopped, and then we had some time go by before we picked up this project again for this particular one. And this time around, I I started the book from scratch, reread it all the way through, watched the episode, and I'm really glad that happened. The Why? first time I read it through, I could not let go of it being a kids' book. Ah. Uh. And this time when I started reading it. Even though I've just come off a almost year of a lot of classical reading and other uh, in-depth stuff, at first that kind of interfered in, in, and I had a hard time letting that go. But as I got into it, and I started kind of—I will say, especially we, I will when chapter twenty-two. Wow, you remember specific? I remember exactly the chapter it was because most of the writing at the beginning was very elementary because it's a kids' book. I get it, but I could tell that's when even. 
he really got into it. And I can't remember what chapter 22 is. I should look it up. <laughs> but it, it was just, and I can't, unfortunately, we can't read it because of you, copyright issues. You just remember the, the, the number. Okay, so this is the, so it's pretty much where you just ended, where she realizes that the mask won't come off. And so she's at her friend Sabrina's house. And just the like the first four paragraphs and then some more shortly after that where she's saying it isn't that's not her and she runs out of Sabrina's uh, um, house. I think at that point I really surprisingly I was shocked that for a kid's book how much that scene drew me in mm-hmm. and just the way he wrote it about her running away the fear that was going through her. That's I think that was for me the the best chapter of the book. And of course later on watching it the actress they chose Oh, she's so good. She was really good. Catherine Long. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And to see it, you know, her bring it into into action. Just even watching her in the costume and how she was able as a as a child actress to bring out another character as the co- the mask would take over. So fun fact the girl who played Sabrina, her uh-huh. name is Catherine Short. Oh, really? <laughs> so it was Catherine Long and Catherine Short. That's that's funny. Yeah. Wasn't she taller than her too? Probably. Yeah, I can't remember, but I think I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was there's there's moments in the Goosebumps books that get really dark. Mm, I can see that. And and that was one of the things that was interesting about the Goosebumps books is Arlstein really tried to find a balance between the dark stuff and comedy. Okay. And he really struggled with that in the first book he wrote, which was Welcome to Dead House. Yeah. You might have read about that. That one's really dark. Okay. It's it's very, very dark. But after that, he, he started adding a lot more comedy. He said anytime that he had a really scary scene, he always tried to put a little bit of comedy in. Mm-hmm. And and that's where the Goosebumps kind of got its vibe. Oh, I see. Yeah. And the Welcome to Dead House, I did see the synopsis on Netflix. <laughs> I don't know how close it is to the book, but... We might do that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> because it is an interesting adaptation. Okay. I, I Yeah. And it, you know what? I've opened the door to Goosebumps to you now. So. N- next, next, next Halloween. Yeah, that, maybe. That's our uh, yeah. other one we'll do. We'll wait a year. <laughs> Great. As long as it stays on Netflix. So I think it was in the same article where he, I like how he expressed it, that it's not necessarily scary, but spooky. Yes. I found that in the book and especially in the episode, it gets very psychological. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not spelled out for you, but especially as an adult, when you're reading it, you're like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Wait, in the book or in the show or both? Both. Both? Okay. More in the episode than the book, but. I agree. Yeah. Like they really leaned into that, Mm -hmm. but. But yeah, it was really good. So I read the book when I was in elementary school. Okay. But I don't think I saw the episode until I was maybe in high school. Oh, as wow. As like a rerun. There was no Netflix back then for you? I think Netflix back then might have still been the DVDs, Just DVDs? sent out okay. to you. Yeah. But I remember it was a rerun on, on one of the channels. I don't uh, know what, but I remember that was a really big deal because it was like all of us in high school were like, this was my childhood. <laughs> So the book and the episode are really, really great for Halloween. Everybody that I've I've heard and read has said that it's perfect to read around Halloween. It it really just has that tone and the really creepy atmosphere, and it just the descriptions of of what Halloween is. It's just, it's just perfect in the book. I do have to say though, I really laughed because 
nowadays, I feel like a lot of kids don't trick or treat. Now it's like everybody yeah. goes trunk or treating or they just go to parties or events or things. I, I really don't think many kids trick or treat anymore. Yeah, no, even, yeah, I've, I've gone trick or treating the last three years. I think COVID year was the only time we didn't, but actually, sorry, the last five years. So unless it's like one of those streets that shuts down and, or maybe like a block party. Well, so not too far from here, my daughter's friend, her family, their, their street would shut down on both ends and people come down just to go up and down that street. And then of course the other streets up on the North and the South. I don't quite know what that's called or if it's a block party or it's not quite a block party. It's more controlled trick or treating (laughs) just so they can control the traffic. And I know like we we've been out to, and my sister, uh, she used to live in El Segundo and they would, they were very big down there, but out where we live or where I live in the, in the near ghetto. So like the, the cities were in the San Gabriel Valley, a lot of those areas are very dead. And even Upland. This year I was in Upland with uh, my sister and it was almost empty. It was kind of sad. Not that I liked it. I was not a big trick-or-treat person. I didn't ever, I still don't care for Halloween. Didn't care for it much as a kid. Hmm. Never big a big day for me. You didn't like trick-or-treating as a kid? I, I'm sure I, I must have liked the candy. I just don't remember it too well. I like the idea of, of dressing up. But once I discovered comic conventions it took <laughs> a whole new meeting and halloween just ceased to be an okay of importance for me i see <laughs> the truth comes out <laughs> yes it does <clears throat> i think the one thing that i laughed at the most while reading the book is the one the one part that really dated the book besides the fact that they're trick-or-treating without any parental supervision <laughs> yes the one thing that really dated the book is the fact that they go to a house and they're invited in to go show their costumes to like an elderly family member. <laughs> yeah. As as a modern reader, I was thinking, red flag, red flag. Don't go in. <laughs> However, there was that you don't eat anything that's unwrapped. I guess that's been around for quite some time. Yeah, that was a big deal. I think like in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of um, urban myths going around about like the razor blades and candy apples and stuff like that. Yeah, those I remember. <laughs> yeah, but it's all right. What was your favorite part of the book? That's a good question. I don't know if I have the favorite part. Mm. Okay, so in the book, I would have to say the favorite part was chapter 22 because it was the high point. Uh, and I think later on, the rest of it was kind of... I know it's a chi- it's a kid's book, but it, it just kind of began childish and ended childish in many ways for me. So, What's wrong with that? That's not where my my. You're also not the the target the audience. target audience. Yes, I know. That's I can appreciate it for what it is. I like that it didn't talk down to the kids. Okay, yeah, I I agree. And it, I didn't. Okay, so I will say this. So a lot of children's literature today is very simplistic, and this is very simplistic as a book. But for some reason. It's not as simplistic as a lot of the other books I've I've been forced to go through because of my nephews and nieces or nephew and nieces. Often when I'm trying to find books for them to give them as gifts and stuff, I'm like, oh, yes, I'm that I'm that uncle. I'm the one who gives them books, <laughs> mostly because I find they're not it, reading is not pushed, and so I often look for 
I, I, I often will read a book before giving it to them. I mean, that might be a good thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, interestingly enough, not a lot of people don't. And so I want to make sure that I'm giving them something that, like, I'll put it this way. This, for what it is, for the general children audience, I think it's, hey, if it got them reading, great. Would I give this to anybody as a gift? No. Nah. <laughs> Most likely I'll give them what I read or uh, something else. That's okay. I think there was something for me just really alluring about the Goosebumps books. Mm. And a big part of it was the covers. Okay. It was they really just drew you in. And I'm not gonna lie, there was you were just kinda cool if you read the Goosebumps books. Especially when you were like in third grade. <laughs> Being a contrarian, that was never my thing. I I mean I wasn't <laughs> driven by I wasn't driven by that, but it didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get it. And there were definitely some books that were a little scary, like you mm -hmm. almost didn't want to finish them. And then there were some that were dumb, I'm not going to lie. but Okay. Maybe but, that's, I, I'm trying to think if we had any, during my my era, my generation, if we had children's books that were, maybe he was like the first one. Because I can't think of anyone, another author prior to him who wrote like that. Besides Stephen King. Yeah, which I, have you ever read Stephen King? I've read a few books by Stephen King. Do you like his writing? It's very formulaic. Okay. I like a lot of his earlier writing. Because I'm not a big fan of... I, I, okay, let me rephrase that. I've never read Stephen King. I don't never know if read I would, Stephen King. I don't know if I would be a fan of his writing. Got it. Mm -hmm. You you would like The Shining. The Shining is good. Okay. I really, really like that one. It's different than the Stanley Kubrick movie. I really oh, like the movie, okay. too. That's another one we might have to do. I might make you read The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> so... We'll see. You heard it first, so, listener. <laughs> this book has... Now, he has been compared in one of the articles. might have been the one we read, a different one I read, to a children's version of Stephen King. Mm -hmm. Would you agree on that? Yeah, I read that somewhere. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I can see... I, I can see why they would say that. I think that works more because Stephen King is just synonymous with horror nowadays. Okay. And children's horror is synonymous with Earl Stein. Was there anything else about the book you wanted to talk about? No, I think we're done for the podcast. No, just kidding. <laughs> I did a fun, I had a fun fact. Okay. That you, I'm sure you came across because apparently we did the exact same research. <laughs> I read that uh, this book was really close to Earl Stein's heart because he got the idea from his son. His son, one Halloween, was wearing a Frankenstein mask, and he struggled to get it off. Oh, wow. And Arl Stein's thought, well, that would make a good story. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And and he even included the duck costume that Carly Breath's mom makes uh -huh. for her. He, he put that in there because when he was a kid, his parents bought him a duck costume for Halloween. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I mean, he was probably a kid, like, in the 50s, so... Okay. Granted, I wore whatever my mom made me, and I never really asked for anything mm. in particular. What was your favorite Halloween costume? My favorite Halloween costume, I don't remember. Don't I don't remember a You're lot so of them. You're so old now; you just don't remember. Honestly, I remember two, and that's it. And then okay, I, well, what were those? Or three, but the last one was just because I was lazy, and that was middle school. So that the, sounds like middle school. The first one was that I remember I was a clown. Mm, before oh. clowns were scary. 
Yes, before clowns are scary. Oh, so three. I remember a third one. I was a train engineer one year. Mm, engineer? Engineer, Or yes. conductor? Engineer. Got it. So there was the train engineer. There was the clown. And then the, the one that was probably the most inventive costume that I, to this day, I give my mom a lot of credit, was I was Ernie from Sesame <laughs> Street. And so she, I had the shirt. I had the jeans. And she made an Ernie head. Oh my gosh! Where my face was, you know, the mouth would open up, and my face wasn't right there. Please send me was. a picture of this. I don't know if we have. I'm sure she had. If it was my mom, she'd have like 20 pictures. Unfortunately, my mom. My mom was a big scrapbook. There's a lot of uh, pictures that are, have been burned. Destroyed. <laughs> she's she's been cleaning. She's been um, downsizing, and mm. so a lot of pictures have. She's like, mm, this memory means nothing to me. <laughs> So I've told her to save some things, especially for for my daughter. I know she would appreciate it. It's all digital now. Yeah, but nothing from that era. You're talking a long time ago. But you can make them digital. True, but that means going through her stuff to find them, and then that's a whole other story. So those those three, I would say the Ernie was my second favorite costume, but the train engineer, because at that point in my life, I wanted to become... A conductor or an engineer mm. and so that was probably my favorite one and then you quickly moved away from that mm, sometime in high school yes no just kidding <laughs> actually i've loved trains since i was a kid i am a i know there's a, a technical term for it but i can't think of it for what someone who's into trains oh <laughs> sure a train enthusiast there, yes i learned it on psych of course you did. Yes. So. I wouldn't know. How about you? What was your favorite? Uh... I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's definitely the most memorable. I I can't remember how old I was. I think I was in second grade. And I think I really wanted to be a mummy. And so my mom that year just took it upon herself to make me a mummy costume. Oh, that's cool. And she like ripped up a old sheet and mm-hmm. made strips. And she made a shirt and pants out of it. And then... She like wrapped my head with like the remaining oh, that's, bit, that's and cool. it actually looked really good. Do you have pictures? I do. They're in a scrapbook. Okay. Yeah. We can download them to the website for the podcast. And... Right. <laughs> of course. Fortunately, I have no pictures to show our audience. Oh no, we'll find them. We'll find them. But no. But my brother one year went as um, Austin Powers. Oh okay. <laughs> but he was, I think in like fourth grade oh wow <laughs> I, I i'm laughing now because i'm thinking of those teachers <laughs> the teacher who had my brother for her class and he just walks in as austin powers that must have been entertaining for <laughs> for them i think the funny thing about any movie or tv show especially that takes place on halloween mm-hmm. is because of licensing they're never specific characters true it's always like a fairy princess or things it's never a specific movie character or anything and i think the article mentioned that too for this for how maybe yeah it's either this article or another one where they mention just to make it easy on them because the in the in the uh the book version they mention he mentions a lot Mm -hmm. and but they talk about freddy krueger and i think sabrina's supposed to be catwoman yeah Versus, they made her just was. a cat in the show. I, it yeah. did not look like a cat. Well, that was. I think they they made fun of it because there was a kid who says, "What are you supposed to be? A hamster?" She looked more like a mouse. She's yeah. like, "No, I'm a cat." 
All right, well, let's jump into the episode then. Oh, I thought we were done. No, we're going to talk about the episode. It's, it's a kid's book. There's not a kid's show. There's not much to talk about. We didn't even talk about the episode yet. We just have to give the tagline for what lesson she learned in Call in a Night. We have to talk about the differences. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Jeez. It, <laughs> Actually, I wrote a lot. I wrote a good amount about the differences. I hope so. Yes. I got into a psychological analysis of it. Of course you did. I'd be, I'd be disappointed if you didn't. <laughs> so back to the website Bloody Disgusting. They said... Like the TV show Are You Afraid of the Dark, before it, Goosebumps offered digestible scares for an audience old enough to be drawn towards such things, but young enough to be kept at arm's length from them. I thought that was really interesting. Really interesting. Goosebumps carried itself aware attitudes, goofball sensibilities, and over-the-top monstrous set pieces from the page to the screen in a manner that felt as natural as the words on the page. And... There were definitely some episodes of Goosebumps that are not as good, but I I thought that the TV episodes for the Haunted Mask were even better than the book, in my opinion. What'd you think? Overall, yes. Uh, I think there were a couple things. There were maybe little lines here and there that I I thought were better in the book, but for overall, yeah, I have to agree. The episode was more impactful. I I. Well, go ahead, because I, I might be jumping the gun in some of the differences. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So apparently fans really loved The Haunted Mask as an episode. It it aired with very high viewership. And according to IndieWire.com, when the episode aired on Fox, 14.1 million people watched it. Wow. Yeah. And even more people bought the VHS tape. Yeah. I, I remember coming across them at like Hollywood Video and and <laughs> and Blockbuster. Apparently, two point five million people purchased the VHS tape. Wow! I mean, yeah. I don't know what sales. I don't know what was big back then, but that's still a lot. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a big number for a kids show. Yeah. Yes. But apparently, according to editorial.rottentomatoes.com, mm-hmm. there really wasn't a lot of money for special effects on the show, and. <laughs> Arl Stein explained that there was a Toronto monster shop that made sure the episodes had the right look. And they're the ones responsible for all the creature effects and everything, especially the haunted mask in this one. And the haunted mask was actually the very first episode of the the series. Yeah. Yeah. That I did. It was, it's like the flagship. Yeah. Yeah. I did. It was it that uh, I did read somewhere that it, it was, Whoever ordered it, I can't remember what network or who it was, Fox, I think, that they didn't even ask for a pilot. They just ordered it without. And Well, at that point, the books were so popular. Yeah, that's why they did it. They're like, we got to jump on this now. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure they were glad they did. Of course. I mean, it's still going pretty well in its market, you know? Is it? I, I did not read anything about how the franchise is today. I know they just did two movies... And the Disney fact that they're Plus? still making things. Well, Disney Plus is re- rebooting it. Is it? Yes. Wow. Yeah. I see. R.L. Stein's not connected to the Disney reboot, though. Mm. So I, I, I'm under the impression from what little I read on it that they're not going to follow the books, but they're kind of redoing a, a new thing. And it looks like it's kind of aimed at more a teenager crowd. Oh, probably. Yeah. I mean, that's that's who's, you know, interested now. Yeah, but what I thought was interesting is that Arlstein did not write the screenplays, but he did 
have um, free reign to approve or take out things in the scripts. Okay. So showrunner, I guess? I don't know if no, that would be equivalent. Like, I think they would just send him the script and be like, hey, what do you think? And he'd be like, oh, that looks great. Okay. In his deadpan voice. <laughs> yes. Like, that looks fine to me. <laughs> what? Go ahead. No, I'm you sure. tell me. What? Well, no, a question that came to mind was, would this be able... Would they be able to make this today? What do you, what do you mean? In the sense of, I, I felt like there were certain aspects of the story, like it wouldn't be the same story. Like they wouldn't, I don't know. I just felt like it would not be something you would see on, on air today. Not Why? that it's dated, but that the, the format and even the type of simplicity to it, it's it, they wouldn't, like the, it's a simple moral story. In maybe maybe not for the target audience that it originally was for, mm-hmm. but maybe for like more of a middle school. Well, I don't know. That was the technically the middle school was because they they came out with other things like they came out with the haunting hour and yeah, it's not so. Let me, let me see if I can phrase this. I feel like this is the type of show you might find on PBS today. PBS, but you wouldn't find it on Nickelodeon or a network. Well, because I... it's it's too simplistic and more and and I don't want to say it's too moral, but it has it's too blatantly with a moral. Well, that was the 90s too, right? The yeah. 90s was very big on teaching kids lessons and having morals. And mm-hmm. that's a lot of that's lost now. But it's also very different just the way that the entertainment industry is nowadays. Because, mm-hmm. you know, back then you had cable, but it, predominantly kids would watch whatever was on just regular TV. And I almost feel like they would put on a, a trigger warning because in case you've been bullied in the past, you're going to have to <laughs> you watch mean now? it. Yeah, now. Maybe. So I, like I, yeah, I, I, maybe I just don't watch enough children's TV to know how, like I've, I've seen some things on PBS and Disney from what my nephew and nieces have watched. But for the most part, what little I've seen, it seems to be a, a simplistic. Well, now everybody has a streaming service. Yeah. And I think the danger now that I've heard is that everything on the streaming services has become very, very niche driven. Mm. Like, because it's, we're just so saturated with entertainment now. Yeah. It's a lot of the quality is going down. Yeah. And they're just busting out stuff right and left. Yeah. There's a lot of crap out there. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it was a different time. And arguably, it's, in some ways, it's 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 nice to have as many streaming services, if only because you have the opportunity to come out with things that you might not have been able to before because it was way too competitive back in the day. Yeah, but I I do think the quality has gone down a lot in on many things nowadays. Oh no, definitely. That that's I can name show after show after show that has that's a children's show that is not good. I think. <laughs> Oh, you want to just get into the episode? Yeah. <laughs> Got it. So I one thing I, I read somewhere is that the episode was filmed not in October. It was filmed in the summertime. Okay. And my first thought was those poor children <laughs> and that poor Catherine Long in that mask. Oh. Because even though they filmed in Toronto, it's still summer. Yeah. And I... Apparently, they made four separate masks for her. Mm-hmm. I read that, too. And one of them is supposed to look just like a regular mask. Oh. And, and that's the one that she first puts on. And then when she takes it off at the very end, it's the, that one as well. But then she has masks that get 
progressively tighter and mm. and it looks much more like a face. Okay. And there's one that's even like really moist and gross. <laughs> Do you remember that? The there was a as that part, they mention it or, or well you just see it. Probably I, I probably didn't. I mean I, I remember them mentioning that. I'm trying to remember visually if I if I saw one that was like that. I, I don't think I was. I might not have had my glasses on. Maybe. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I do remember noticing that they got the makeup got better and better <laughs> as the night went on. So I assumed they were different masks, and I think I I read somewhere too, like you did, uh, that there were four. But well, at first, you can see when she puts the mask on that you can see this her normal skin behind the yeah, eye holes. I, yeah, that was the main that was the main trigger for when it was getting uh, different makeup. Yeah, because then so they did eventually well it it just became like a real face like mm-hmm. you didn't see her normal skin anymore yeah yeah that was a good idea on their on their end yeah and then they had the every once in a while they had that camera angle where it looked like it was coming from her real eyes behind the mask oh the pov yeah yeah someone said that it it looked a, like an homage to halloween the TV, the movie mm, another movie i've never seen and thank uh, god there's no adaptation for that one. there is no adaptation for that one <laughs> so i guess you're you're in luck that Somewhere. one that one's good though is it yeah. Oh, maybe one day I'll throw it into my. It's it's watch. good because it's, it's not really it's not bloody really and, I don't know. We'll talk about that later. Okay. But I I liked I really liked the episode. The episode's good. It my heart really went out for the character of Carly Beth in the episode. Like you really feel bad for her, and I, the episode really felt more streamlined than the book. I, yeah. In the book. In the book, it starts with her at school, and the the two bullies they pick on her, and they 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 offer her a sandwich, and in the sandwich is is a worm, and and then eventually like there's a science fair, and he pretends that he that he there's a tarantula loose and to scare her and everything. But in in the move in the the episode, they really streamlined it, and they open with them walking past the brand new novelty shop and and going to pick up pumpkins and i feel like it just introduced the characters quicker and faster in a new scene and it kind of hinted at what was going to happen more and then it made the event with the worm it just made more sense because they put it in her sandwich instead of giving her a sandwich Mm -hmm. and then that was the catalyst for her to to go and freak out and to want to get back at them with revenge and everything I just really felt bad because when she she went back to her room and she like tore up the duck costume her mom had made her and that wasn't in the book. No, that wasn't. Like you really felt like her pain in yeah. that scene. The idea of the mask affecting her even when she wasn't wearing it that was portrayed a little more than it was in the book. Correct me if I'm wrong, or did, I don't know if you even. You think so? I'm trying to because like in the book I don't remember her when she's not wearing it having those things because even 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 the 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 scene in the shop was very different mm-hmm. and there was I think there was one part in the shop where like she was like having a tantrum or was that in the book? You talking about when she first goes to the shop? When yeah when he when he won't let her buy it. One of them is when she had a tantrum. I don't remember having a tantrum. <laughs> yeah, let me let me let me see if I can find it in my notes. Actually, I think right. the the best the one of the best changes they made for the episode is when she goes to get the mask. In the book, 
he eventually the the shop owner eventually just gives in and he lets her buy the mask mm-hmm. even though he doesn't want to give it to her but in the episode she basically just takes it like she she grabs the mask when he's not looking and then she throws the money at him and she's like here you go and she runs off and then she she has a moment outside the shop where she's like what am i doing and then she, before she can go back she sees that the shop owner has closed the door and he put the close sign up and and it's just like okay this is i'm gonna keep going yeah no maybe it wasn't that scene because in this one you're talking about like when she wanted the mask off yeah i think it's later on i think i'm i'm confusing the two her screams i swear her screams she was acting her heart out (laughs) okay in the book she's more of a bully you think she's more of a bully in the book in her head in in the in the show it's more i feel like in the in the book i felt like she was more of a bully and in the show, I felt like it was more of it was more of her inner psychological darkness coming out through the mask, because I if I remember right, even in the book, she's not as apologetic to Sabrina to her friend, and she doesn't she doesn't tell her sorry as often. And in the show, I I noticed that she was always telling her she kept on saying it it's not me it's the mask it's not me it's the mask. Whereas in the book, I didn't catch that. Well, the hardest part in translation, in, in you know the adaptation from the book to the episode is, in the book you can get more from her own thoughts, whereas mm-hmm. you can't really get that in the episode. She has to just audibly say things, and so there was a couple times where it sounded a little cheesy. Yeah, but I think as she got more distressed, it just made sense for her to be just saying those things instead of just thinking them. Yeah. In the book, there were times where she would do something and she was like, whoa, why did I do that? Like, that's mm-hmm. weird. And she'd be like trying to cover it up. And she's like, and she's like, oh, you know, I was just pretending. But in in the episode, you really felt in a way like she was almost possessed by the mask. And that in the episode, yes. And that's why I felt like there was more of a sense of evil versus her getting revenge in the book, it was more her getting revenge. In the book, there was the evil of the mask. Uh, and that's when you see it in the... Like in the book, it was... That's when I meant about the temper. She had the temper uh, tantrum in the shop. And it was the temper tantrum in the shop that woke up the other mask that eventually chased her. Whereas in the show, they just kind of randomly woke up and started chasing her. Well, I mean, she she is screaming in the book. And, and she wants it off. She wants the mask off. And she's scared that she's not able to be able to take it off and she's like take it off take it off take it off and then because she's screaming that's when the masks wake up in the episode in the episode yeah but it's it's more it wasn't quite the same as it was in the book on there it it was it was different i I, if i could read it legally i would (laughs) in fact hold on i think i think i have it here from the same website you went to yeah in the book, Carly Beth loses her temper, screams and shouts, and pounds on the man's chest. As a result, the remaining masks awaken. Versus in the show, uh, her reaction comes after. So in the show, he gave his, his, you know, he threatens to show. There was that whole line about, oh, maybe I should show you what my true face looks like. Well, yeah, and I really liked And it was that after part. that they came alive. Yeah, I liked that part because that's not in the book. Yeah. In, in the book... They really he never explains why the masks were created. He just says that they were once beautiful. 
and then they became ugly. Mm-hmm. And it, it hints that he hints that it's because she left the lab that it came alive. In the book, it's actually said it's because yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the episode, in the episode, they dive deeper into like the psychology and stuff, which I really liked. Yeah. Um, and he talks about how he. He also, like Carly Beth, didn't like who he was, and yeah. he wanted to change who he was, and and so he was making those faces for himself. But because his problem was an internal problem, mm-hmm. it came out and it made the faces ugly and grotesque, and and so he kept coming up with new faces. And I like that you can see that his current face was starting to decay as the, well. Yeah, the scar model or whatever it was. Yeah, that, yeah. that growth. Oh, the growth on his. That's what it was. It was yeah. a growth. Yeah, they really leaned into that idea of like loving yourself and and stuff like that. Now, that's a big, was it, would that be a, a trope, I guess? Loving yourself and children's. I guess. Children's stuff. Even though it's it, it is a, I'll be honest. I have a I have a. I feel like that's a very modern trope. I feel like for the, the early nineties, it it was around, but it wasn't as prevalent. Yeah, maybe because I've done a lot of thought and research into this idea, especially as it relates to a Judeo Christian world perspective. I have I'm probably way have thought about it more than a lot. I will say when I came across that idea on the show. I had to wrestle with it as to how they were presenting it and what what it meant, but because it was done in a very simplistic '90s way, <laughs> it wasn't as bad, you know, compared to a well, lot of the stuff I, I read today. Well, I think it, it it definitely stemmed more from the bullying and yeah and things because there's there's the whole loving yourself and you're okay the way you are. I'm not a big fan of that. I'm it's different when in under the idea of loving yourself. Well, because she hated herself. Yes, and that's that's a very big difference. Because yeah. even like when say. her mom, when her mom made that sculpture of her face, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Why did you make my face?" Yeah, and she's like, "Cause I love you." Yeah, and like she just couldn't believe it. Like in the book and the show, and then, I don't think in the show they she mentions her nose, does she? But in the book, I remember her mentioning her nose. Either way, she critiques herself, her face, of course. Yeah, and so, like I think for me, the the one thing I'm always looking for is. There's aspects of yourself that you need to learn to be to love, if you will. But then there's always going to be the room for growth. Of course. And I think in the show they do show that growth and her realizing she has that she does have a confidence in her. She just needs to find it. Well, cuz she really just she just didn't like herself at all and she just felt stuck and nobody like with all the bullying and everything yeah. like I think she it was more about you know, coming to a point where you allow yourself to be loved. Yeah. Which Carly Beth do you think was more pit- pitiable or pitiful? <laughs> Sympathetic? Or, huh? Sympathetic? No, 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 no. Which one did I pity more? Yeah. Wow. Well, because someone had mentioned The movie that one. one. Really? I mean, the, the, the episode. Was she less annoying? Or did you find either one annoying at all? I think because you, she was more emotional in the episode. Okay. In the book... It felt a lot more matter of fact in the book. Yeah, she got picked on and she didn't like it, but I felt like she moved on very quickly in the book. She was like, mm-hmm. "Okay, well, I'm gonna go get revenge now." And th- in the episode, you got to see her like have an emotional breakdown. I had more empathy, sympathy for the one in the show, definitely. That's what I yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was thinking 
that and we already said that the episode dives more into like the psychology of Carly Beth mm-hmm. and that theme of love and everything that the book has. And I just found it really interesting, you know, Carly Beth, she's she's ridiculed and and she's bullied terribly. And she basically just kind of s- swaps and has a type of mental breakdown like I said. Mhm. And she literally is just forsaking her old self, her innocent self. Mm-hmm. And she's out to make the world feel her pain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we've seen in other other things as well, obviously. Like when we talked about Heathers, mm-hmm. you can see some of that with JD. And, but you know, when she ripped up the costume her mom made her, like she's no longer thinking about what, what her actions are going to do, like how, what her consequences are going to be. And then in the book, when she takes the plaster of Paris head that her her mom made for her, uh-huh. she, when she takes it and she she starts saying like this is me, you know, like this is the old Carly Beth, and all that, she ends up losing it. Like she drops it and she loses it. Yeah. But in the episode, she's literally in a graveyard and she buries it and she says bye bye. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah, that was. And so like that's a big statement. Hmm. Like she's literally burying her old self, mm-hmm. and I thought that was a very powerful moment in the episode. Well, so one of the things that uh, I thought was interesting is you know Chuck and Steve in the episode, they're just bullies, and they were friends yeah. in the book. In the book, yeah, it's strongly hinted that they're actually friends. Which I don't understand how you can be friends with someone <laughs> like. That. No, I, I get it. Really? I get, I get it because if you're a kid and you know you have to have friends and and. And if you hang out with people long enough, you're you're technically friends, even if they pick on you. Like if you're hanging out, you know. I just chose not to have friends <laughs> as a kid. I mean, that's a that's an option. I didn't have a ton of friends, but I was that kid who stayed in at recess and would read well, books in the no, library. No, you know what? <laughs> now that now that I think about it, I was teased a lot. But I always made like I, I didn't do this on purpose, but somehow I always had a friend who was one of the popular kids and even though we weren't super close they would protect me from being bullied and this is something this is why i i understand bullying but i was never mercilessly mercilessly oh no bullied. no I've, i was never bullied in the way that you see in like movies and tv yeah and and to the point where i i, I never thought that actually happened oh okay and i mean in some places it does but yeah no, I've I've heard of it or and I've seen it and but I've never thankfully growing up I always had and so because I had at least We were one, so sheltered. No, it was more that I, I I had friends that were kind of like me. I always had like one close friend, but then I would I would like the usually the popular kid in my class, he probably took pity on me and kind of protected <laughs> me. And so I always had a protector. You know, and, and most of my school years up until middle school, I had a protector. And so I remember, in fact, middle school, being over at a friend's house, we went out to, I think we walked to like the local liquor store because they had Street Fighter and some other game there. <laughs> and we went with our quarters and we were playing and someone like, they were, I can't remember if it was on the street, outside or somewhere, but we kind of got into like some other kids were kind of taunting us. And my friend stepped in front of me and he kind of, and he protected me. And That's so, nice. it, yeah, no. And, and to this day, I'm very grateful for never having to go through that. But I, and I was, I'm grateful I always had a protector. And so I think part of that, especially in the book version, I had a hard time connecting with understanding 
why would you allow yourself to be that or how you can be that fearful not that she allowed herself but how she didn't i don't know i, I feel like the, the 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 book version wasn't as relatable as the show version the show version carly was a little more realistic i think yeah and and in the book it even kind of hints that sabrina is kind of in on some exactly of the yeah because there's a couple times where like they, they talk about what there was a previous incident at Sabrina's house, mm-hmm. but then they also there's a moment where when they're out trick or treating and Carly Beth scared Stephen Chuck, and when she meets up with Sabrina again, they're catching up, and Sabrina mentions that she knew yeah. that Stephen Chuck were gonna try to scare Carly Beth, but Sabrina didn't say anything, and. I, I didn't like that. <laughs> I was like, what, what kind of a friend are you? Yeah. But in the episode, they made her much more of a friend. They yes, made her they did. that very sympathetic, like, I'm sorry this is happening to you. Like, you are kind of a scaredy cat, but I'm sorry this is happening. And I like that change of making Steve and Chuck into bullies. Mm-hmm. It worked better. than And yeah. it made Sabrina more supportive. Yes, yes. Because otherwise, I, I mean, I know, I know I don't think like other people think. And so, like, to me, hey... I would rather just be by myself if I'm going to, you know, instead of being bullied. I don't understand this thing of having, of wanting and needing to have friends, but (laughs) that was, that's me. I mean, granted now I understand it a lot better as an adult, but as a kid, I was, it was, I was safer with my toys. And so, you know, growing up. And so I have a hard time. Whereas I've seen that with other people and I've seen that in, in my daughter, even where it's that, that drive to, you want to have, especially I, I, now, I'm stepping into a realm I don't know, but I'm going to venture to say, especially for girls and women, that might be a little stronger than for Oh, dangerous territory. Yeah, I know. I don't know for sure. I'm making a hypothesis. So uh, I'm sure there's books out there that I could read that would Ladies, please, please let us know how Romy's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> or if I'm right. I mean, this could be something where it's, it's, it's well, actually, it is women i think relational isn't because women relationally that's something that's more important i think for us guys it's a little easier you know to not to kind of brush it aside because i mean i was bullied in in compared to what people how they would term it today there were things where especially high school i know my freshman year i was bullied Mm -hmm. but I learned to take it in stride. I didn't complain, you know, whether it was forcing me to dissect without wearing gloves and smelling like formaldehyde all day (laughs) long, you know, tearing that little tag on the back of my shirt and having a hole, you know, there was all these little things that they, that happened. Well, and I think something that I I heard somebody mention once in reference to kind of just nineties, eighties, nineties culture, especially in regards to bullying Mm -hmm. is it was addressed very differently than it currently is. And there was this idea that it was more like pranks. Okay. And and a lot of adults or people viewed it as harmless and and or or just a way to like get a thicker hide, you know? And that's kind of the era I came out of. But I, I will say, in reading the book I kept on thinking, why is she not telling someone, you know? Well I mean I feel like a lot of times when you're a victim of circumstances like that, you you just don't. You're you're afraid of what might happen, or you don't realize that you can, or you you feel like you might not be supported, or whatever, you know. Yeah, I. But I think um, the one thing I really thought about in both the book and the show 
that I thought was interesting this time around, because mm-hmm. I think this was a new thought for me, is I never really thought that she was a scaredy cat. You know what I mean? Like she, they they hmm. say that she is in the book and the show, and she definitely jumps at things. But one of the things that I noticed is she just seems more paranoid, <laughs> and because because of she's so used to being bullied. Like Sabrina does say that you're scared of everything. Yeah, and we just have to take her word for that. Mm-hmm. But any time in the episode, we've seen her be quote-unquote scared of something it was more because she was kind of tormented that's true like in, that's in like in that's the book true. when like obviously she eats the worm mm-hmm. which is horrible yeah that was horrible and but even that is not necessarily something scary it's just yeah. that was just horrible it was mean yeah and and then and then in the book something that did not end up in the episode is at the science fair when they say that the tarantula was loose, and then I don't remember Chuck or Steve, one of the two, goes up and then pretends to like pinch her and be the tarantula. I remember that, yeah. Like, who wouldn't freak out, you know? <laughs> and so, like, anytime she would get scared in the book or the episode, it was because of somebody jumping out at her or bullying or bullying. And and so this time around, when I was watching the episode and reading the book, I thought, I don't really think that she is a scaredy cat. I think they're just labeling her as a scaredy cat. You know what? That's a, that's a good catch. I, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Like, I think, you know, it almost seems in a way that they're calling her that so that they can write off what they're doing. Yeah. I'm sure it was a artistic thing here, or a thing he did just for the novel. Because I, I think in the novel... You keep saying she, novel. It's not a novel. I know it's not a novel. <laughs> I, in the book... It's not even 100 pages. I know. In the book, she comes across a little bit more as borderline scaredy cat paranoid whereas in the in the show i think she's a lot more paranoid of what's been ha- been done to her she seemed much more like a trauma victim in the episode yes and that which it, that was a really interesting choice yeah but it, i think it allowed also for like like even in watching her and the actress, I felt like it's one of those things when you're watching something, maybe because I've read it. I mean, maybe I was projecting onto the character, but I felt <laughs> like you could see that there's more to her than just being paranoid of, of her situations, of everything she's been thrown into. Well, and they literally say that in, in the episode, like, she's like, I don't want to be known for being scared. Like she wanted more. Yeah, yeah that that's exactly, that's, that's exactly what it was is you could see there was more to the character than just the mm-hmm. one dimensional scaredy cat. Yeah. And she, com- and she complained cause she even says, why is it just me? Like they pick on just me. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I did kind of find interesting in the episode that's not in the book is when she terrorizes Steve and Chuck while wearing the mask and she, she's, like making them apologize to the head and everything. They, they say that they were only picking on her because they liked her. And I found that interesting because, you know, for kids that, that is something that sometimes kids do. They took it to the extreme, Yeah, but that is sometimes what kids do. You know, they, Mm -hmm. they will pick on each other because they like that person. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously I don't agree with what they did, but (laughs) But I thought it was it was interesting because it, it did address why they were picking on I her. I missed that line then. Because in the book, they'd never say why they were picking on her. They just they just do it. Yeah. No. I, I must have missed that line because I don't remember them saying that. However, they 
they loosely touch or no they touch on that in the second uh haunted mass part two or not part the yeah yeah but that's going down a rabbit hole yeah but i mean it's still the same thing so now that now that i wonder if i would have heard that that might have actually i might have conceptualized that whole that whole scene differently however one thing that did bug me was what kid randomly goes into a cemetery at night on halloween it's halloween why wouldn't you go into a cemetery at night on Halloween? Because where we live, they close at like dusk. So that's a big reason. But in general, I mean, if you're... I don't it's know. the perfect night to go to the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that idea traditionally. It's not so much now, but there's that idea traditionally mm-hmm. that Halloween is the night when the spooks and the spirits come back. Yes, but I'm saying, why would the two boys randomly go there to count do their candy? I'm like, that's kind of an interesting random well, I, choice. Okay, so I think growing up for, at least for me, but you're also the right age for this, it's very different now. Halloween was just one of those nights as a kid where you kind of just had a bit more freedom and you wanted to really lean into that scariness. But they weren't going there to be scared. They were going there to count their candy. No, but it was like the perfect aesthetic. No, it was. Show-wise, it was. No, no, no. I mean, just in general. It's like, it's Halloween. Like, I don't know. Because they hit up all the houses, they said. Like, they're true, like, what do you want to do now? He's like, like, let's go in here. Yeah, I don't know. Because he's like, why didn't we just go to my place and we can count our candy? And <clears throat> in my mind, I'm thinking that would have been a lot. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't have worked for the show because she wouldn't have been able to scare them. Well, and then it fit in with that idea of her burying her old self in the yeah. cemetery. No, I get why they did it. I just think it was a random choice. I don't know. I just think it's one of those things. Logically. I think it's one of those things that, you know, as a kid, it's Halloween. You're in a costume. You're going to behave a little differently because it's Halloween. You're going to want to do things that are spooky. Maybe. You know? I, I don't see it, but I, I get what you're saying. I just... It makes no sense to me. It's one of those illogical things that... I was always bummed on Halloween because I'm the oldest kid. Mm -hmm. And my brother's a year and a half younger than I am. And my sister's 10 years younger than I am. Okay. And so when I reached the point where I was old enough to go out trick-or-treating on my own, I could have. Mm -hmm. But my mom never let me because it was a family thing. And so we had to go out trick-or-treating with my sister and take the pictures and all that stuff. And so I... I have actually a funny story. I remember, I think I was maybe 17, and I had stopped trick-or-treating maybe a couple years prior, Mm -hmm. you know, 15, 16, somewhere in there. I remember one of the last times I went trick-or-treating, I was thinking, I'm a little too old for this now. (laughs) But I remember I was probably about 17, and I I was done taking my sister trick-or-treating. I think I went home early. My family was still out, Mm. and... We lived with my grandparents, and I told them, like, I'll take over the trick-or-treaters. Like, mm-hmm. I'll give out the candy. You can just go relax. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went and answered the door, and it was a bunch of kids from my class. Oh, wow. And they were trick-or-treating. Mm-hmm. And, and it, my first thought was, like, come on, guys. You're, you're, you're juniors <laughs> in high school. Like, come on. You're a little too old. And I remember laughing because they said, oh, my gosh, Eric, you live here? And I literally said to them, no, I broke into this house and I'm giving out candy. (laughs) I'm like, of course I live here. Oh, and and it kind of goes into something I noticed in the episode, Mm -hmm. especially is there's this idea that when you're in a costume, especially when you have a mask on, I feel like you allow yourself to do things that you wouldn't normally do. And so... 
it really it was really interesting to watch Carly Beth go crazy in the mask because yes she's kind of being possessed by the mask yeah but she's now anonymous and she she's able to do things that she wouldn't have normally done because she has the mask on like they just took it the extra step of having it the mask being real and everything hmm. but that's something I noticed because as soon as it's like almost like the internet effect, right? Like you would you'll say things yeah. on the internet, on social media that she probably would never say in person to someone. In fact, there was a line. I shouldn't bring it up because I don't have to look for it. <laughs> but there was actually a line in the book that made me think of that. I noticed that. In fact, later on, I, it's not in the. It's I don't believe it's in the show. However, in the show, that was something that did come across in regards to part of it's the online thing. Part of it is also growing up especially in high school and then later on in your 20s, there were a lot of people, heck, I've even seen this in adults, but there's a lot of people where they put these masks on and they become people you don't know. And the longer they they figuratively wear these masks, it's been sad but interesting also to watch them. In a way, it doesn't, the, the negatives, just like the show, the negatives still come out of who their personalities but they let that mask become who they are. And and I'm not going to, I won't go into, into detail because I have actually a lot of people are coming to mind right now <laughs> where I remember them as kids or even in, in, like I said, in high school or even other times. And one, one that does come to mind, but it's not as, ex, as extreme. It's, it's, uh, I've had uh, acquaintances who are into nerdy, geeky stuff, mostly geeky stuff, not so much nerdy. The nerds have usually, nerds were usually authentic. But with the geeky stuff, especially prior to becoming really popular as it is uh, today, where it was always sad when I was hanging around with them or we'd go to either a convention or something and I'd or we'd be maybe at work and we're talking about things, you know, TV shows and movies. But then the popular people come over. And yes, even at work, there's popular people. <laughs> and it would be it would be sad to watch as all of a sudden they would shift and change. And I saw this, and in, 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 as I was watching the the episode, it was interesting, you know, because I was thinking of of that as well as the people who hide with the masks online, of how that part of them comes, you know, it's like the mask becomes who they are, and they eventually adopt it. But what I thought was really true to life, as it was done in the show, is that no matter what mask you wear, especially the negative parts of your personality are going to come out. No matter how, you know, you can, you, you, it's kind of like online where the people, um, well, this is a little bit different, but the ones who put the perfect life on social media, right. and then you find out down the line they were, you know, domestic abuse or something like that. Oh my God. Yeah. No, it's happened where it, it's, it's, no, you I, cannot hide. Yeah. I mean, that, darkness. I think it just, it just got worse with social media. Yeah. And the other, uh, this part, uh, here's, uh, this is a question, I guess, is do you think he was Arl Stein? Arl Stein. He one of the things that is that is really not even glossed over today, but is really just not even thought of, is the dark side of humanity, our, our inner, you know, the human nature, it not being utopian, we're all good inherently type idea. Having read Goosebumps in general, does that come out? Does he bring that out? That we have a mix of good and bad in us. When that it's a choice because that's what I saw in this one is that she had touches a upon it. Yeah, it's not the focus. No, no, no. I, but that's why I think it book. makes it a good book and an even better episode. Mm-hmm. He he doesn't spell everything out, but he's not afraid of hinting at deeper things. And that's what I 
I appreciate it about this because like I think in a lot of children's shows today it's it's more oh we all need to be happy and or not happy we need all be friends we all need to do good for each other we all need to do but it, it doesn't I liked in the in the show that it was her dark side just like it was for the guy who made the masks it was her dark side coming out with a little bit of the influence of the mask you know she wanted she was so dead set on scaring Steve and Chuck and she wanted her revenge you know I thought that was actually for a kids uh, series refreshing to see something like that yeah because I think I didn't really want to go down this path but we brought it up enough that I'll say it the extreme Mm -hmm. of this is like school shooters Mm -hmm. like you get these kids like you think you know Columbine or things you, these kids who were bullied and picked on and then they it got to a point where they broke and they just took it their anger and their pain out on their accusers yeah and so like this obviously is not school shooting but in a weird supernatural horror kids book mm-hmm. it kind of touches on that subject matter in a very yeah. interesting way that kids can understand without traumatizing them yeah, no, I think it's a perfect medium to express com- complex things, but tone them down enough to which into a, a, a way in which children are able to grasp and understand and learn from. And that, that was something that Arlstein had mentioned at one point is he always wanted to write to that, that age group mm-hmm. and include things that they were going through. Oh, okay. He always wanted to talk about things that... He didn't want to just write simple things for kids that were fun or weird or, or creepy. Yeah. He wanted to include at least the idea of things that kids go through. And so in a lot of his the Goosebumps books, especially the early ones, mm-hmm. which I think are the better ones, he really touches upon subjects of like loneliness mm. and you know being that one child in the family who's kind of overlooked or yeah. different things like that like he doesn't it's not the main focus but it it, it does play into the story mm-hmm. and i really liked those and i think that's what made the books really popular is because it, it it grounded the fantastical elements of the story yeah and i i I noticed that just a little bit of the loneliness part in this one too. Cause I mean, the whole idea of what was it that eventually broke the, it's not a spell, but the, the hold the mascot on her was love, you know, the symbol of love, which right. was from her mom. And I think it was done a little bit better or a lot. Better oh, it was done a lot better show. in the show. Yes. Yeah. For both the mom. It was really awkward in the book. <laughs> yeah, it was, but then it was also her, her, the way they portrayed Sabrina so even though that wasn't what broke the hold of the mask, there was still that, like you mentioned earlier, the underli- the the friendship was a lot better portrayed there. She was more of a sympathetic friend than just someone who was laughing behind her back in the book. So in a way, it was it was an underlying current of, yeah, you're going through what you're going through, but you're still loved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be reminded of that. Mm-hmm. I think we we all kind of struggle with this idea of. We get so caught up in ourselves and we forget that there are people who care for us and, 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 you know, we, we contribute in a way that we forget. Yeah. And that was Carly Beth's biggest thing. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, you brought up the, the symbol of love in the story. It was, you know, the plaster head her mom had made for her. Yeah. I remember the biggest, this was probably one of the best changes they made for the episode Mm -hmm. in the book you remember she 
she she looks for it like she knows that is going to be the symbol of love because she remembers that her mom yes. said i made it because i love you yes and so she goes and she finds it and they don't go the the, the floating heads don't go away mm-hmm. and so even in the book i thought it was funny because she's like i don't know why i did it but i put <laughs> it over my head and and then and then by putting it on it was like she was putting on her old face yeah and and so it makes some sense but i always thought it was really awkward Mm-hmm. And then she like opens her eye, she like pulls it off, and the mask's off. And in the episode, it, I feel like it was handled a lot better because she's she's not looking for it because she realizes that that is a symbol of love. Mm-hmm. She she goes to look for it, and she tells the floating heads, "This is me. This is the real Carly Beth." And and then the the faces go away, and then she realizes, "Oh, this is the symbol of love." Okay, so I I. That makes so much... Okay, I didn't understand it when I watched it. When I was watching it, I kept on thinking to myself, after I watched that scene, I thought... I didn't understand why she had gone for the head when I heard that she didn't learn the lesson to the end. But that makes sense now that you explained it. Yeah. I think the one thing I remember laughing at is in the book when the heads start coming alive yeah the guy tells her for like a page and a half to run yeah and she doesn't run <laughs> yes <laughs> he's just like run get out of here and it's yeah. like the head started to float up i was really scared run get out of here mm-hmm. the heads moved closer run i'm just like why aren't you moving <laughs> <laughs> at least in the episode she just books it yeah yeah that was better. That was done a lot better. Yeah, I think the episode did a great job streamlining and just handling the subject matter better, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm diving a little bit deeper. How about the uh, changes in the store owner? Oh, the store owner. There was, there was he was quite a bit different in both versions. Yeah, I mean, he it was this the same feel in both. Like I, it felt like the same character it didn't feel like they changed him that much i felt that it was it was quite a bit different really yes and i mean and, he he all of a sudden had an accent <laughs> well not just that but i felt like he was more malevolent in the show really whereas, yes oh i i disagree really you yeah. thought he was more malevolent in the book yeah i thought he was more okay well, you tell me why you think your thing and then i'll tell you why you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> no i i it, okay so in the book he came across as more meek. It was this this guy with a pencil thin mustache, and and so it, you know he didn't want to sell her the mask, and then he finally did, and then it, I just didn't feel honestly. It was more just the feeling of the way he was written. I just felt he was just there, just a character, some weird guy who sold a uh, who made masks in a laboratory. I never felt a threat from him towards Carly. Mm. they're just it just there was no, no lines in the book no writing that that made it came across as if he was a threat well in the book there's a couple times where they hint that he could be a threat but arlstein's big go-to are his like chapter cliffhangers mm. he's he's infamous for his chapter cliffhangers mm-hmm. and they're almost always i don't want to say dumb yeah but never what they seem to be okay and and so there were times with him that he'd be like mm-hmm. he would come in and he'd be like you're not going anywhere, and then the next chapter would be like oh yeah because you're not allowed to do this yeah. and it's like oh I, I everything's fine. Those. 
because he would do that in a lot of his books mm -hmm. where it, it makes you keep reading okay it makes you interested in figuring out what's going to happen and in in the episode the only equivalent would be a, a commercial break yeah but now, i think the biggest difference though in in to your point mm -hmm. is you have to imagine it in the book whereas you're actually physically watching it mm -hmm. in the episode okay. and so i can see why you would say that but was there anything else no just in my reading of it I, he didn't he he never played a big role in the reading for me got it yeah i would say i never really considered him malevolent yeah i was maybe going a little harsh on that even in the show he wasn't malevolent but i definitely he was creepier <laughs> i thought he was more protective in the episode Okay, let me as you talk, I'll think about it. Because in the book, he's he tells her, "No, you can't have any of these. You're not allowed in here." But then he gives in. And I feel like, like he's just more indifferent. But he knows what's going to happen, and so yeah. he's basically allowing this child to like give up her face. He's like, "Okay, I'll take your money." Oh, uh, versus just where she runs off. Yeah, in own. in the episode, mm -hmm. he tells her flat out, "No," like okay. I said, "No, you can't have it." And then she ends up taking the mask and throwing the money at him. And he could have run after her. Yeah. But I, I think because she did that, he's not as... In the book, I, did always, I, always, I always wondered, why did you just allow this 11-year-old girl to basically throw her life away? <laughs> and then yeah. she comes back and he's, he does, he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I knew you'd be back. I can't help you. I'm sorry. I, I wish I could, but I can't. And like, you do feel the sense that he is sad about it. But he still is the one that sold her the mask in the book. Okay, so I take back the idea of malevolent. But I, I do feel he was more... Maybe it's because it was the way he was written. It was more wooden. <laughs> I liked uh, I liked his random cape in the book. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that disappeared later on. It did. And versus in, in the... Because as I'm going through my in my head right now, I can see how he was how he could come across a little bit more i don't know if caring is the right word but you know i mean he he definitely lacked social skills yeah <laughs> oh yeah all right so i think that's about it for the book and the episode <laughs> and then unless you can think of any other changes that you wanted to talk about uh the biggest one her brother listening to heavy metal music at a, such oh, a young age. The big game changer. <laughs> yes. Mm. So early in the book, they mention, I think when she gets home for the first time, her brother's listening to heavy metal music. It is an old, oh, yes. old. old heavy metal yes. song or something. Mm -hmm. and, I'm, and the first thing that popped into my mind was Metallica. What young kid at that age is listening to heavy metal? Outside of that change, that's it. I mean, if it is character. <laughs> one of the things that i noticed that's different in the book the masks are described as very grotesque that's and true. very gross like one of them has like a nail through an eye mm -hmm. and one of them has like a bug coming out of its mouth and mm -hmm. all this really disgusting stuff but i don't think they could have gotten away with that on on television for kids yeah no. and so the masks are still scary mm -hmm. but nowhere near like that Less that would be nightmarish i think yeah Mm. Yeah, but overall, it was a very faithful adaptation. And that brings me back to what I've brought up before, which is, what is an adaptation? We have our categories. First one is faithful to source material, which attempts to remain as accurate as possible. Mm -hmm. We have expanded, 
which is changes, additions, omissions made to highlight themes or characterizations, world building. There's artistic, which is choices were made to emphasize themes or plot characters throughout using metaphors and symbolism and stuff. And the last one is message driven, which is the source material used as more of a vehicle to tell something specific that may not have been in the original story. So what do you think the episode fell under for the adaptation? Number five. You're fired. <laughs> I mean, I felt it was fair, fairly close. So wouldn't that be number one? Yeah, for me, I really felt that it was kind of a combination of a faithful to the source material, but also expanded. Because it was very faithful, mm-hmm. but it, it, it did... It didn't make a couple changes, and it took a couple of things out. I can out, see that. Added but it backstory. Really, yeah, added more mm-hmm. backstory, and it really dived into that psycho- like psychology of the, of the Carly Beth. It definitely did. I agree on that. Yeah. yeah. I think it, it, it took... It was faithful to the source material, and it just pushed it a little more to mm-hmm. make it a little better. And so I think if I have to pick one, I would say this is expanded. Mm-hmm. But it is ridiculously faithful to the source material. And to be fair, it is one of the better episodes of Goosebumps because it's a two-parter. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And I would they say most time. of the most of the Goosebumps episodes that are the better episodes are the two-parters. Yeah. Because you have more time. Well, I mean, I say yeah as if I've seen them, but I. You can. I I can, but I probably won't unless we actually read them. I'll just I make have you to read some more. But I can say what I will say is that knowing that they have more time to give to the story. It makes sense that the longer ones would be. Now, which was your favorite? Which is your favorite? Book. Book really? or episode? Yeah, book or episode. Oh, you mean between these two? Between these two. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant of all the Goosebumps. No, 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 no. I was like, wow. <laughs> no, of the between these two. Book. Okay, so this is, this is one of those times where I thought the adaptation was better. Well, I'll have to disagree with you. No, you don't. I'm just kidding. No, I the the adaptation was a the lot. The book better. was fine. The book was good. It was. No, it was. But I I if I'm given the two, mm-hmm. I would pick the episode. The based on your the way you just described or the, the definitions you gave, the expansions added it 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 added it it added it for it added it it added it it added for the better. <laughs> yes, and it improved. It was well done. And plus, not to not to forget. The actress they chose. Yeah. I, I would say when they made the episode, especially because it was the first one, mm-hmm. they were like, we got to go full out on this. Yeah. I, I, I think it was more like they fine-tuned the book. Okay. Like they, they looked at the book and they said, this is I great. I can see that. Yeah. There's a couple of times that we could we could fix a couple small things. I think we can highlight some of this more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what made the episode good. I mean, okay. the source material was good, so... Would you? I, I know this is a, a tangent. We don't have to go. I'm not going to say we need to go down this far. But if our listeners are, they have no desire to read, watch, go, uh, to get into Goosebumps, would you tell them to read and watch it? Just watch it. I I think I have told people, especially when it's like Halloween, mm-hmm. and they just want to watch like a good Halloween movie. I tell them go go watch the episode. Okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with reading the book. I love reading. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but between the two, I would say watch the episode. And should they watch the sequel? If you want to watch something mindless, 
and just for fun. Here's here's the thing. I remember reading the sequel as a kid and being horrified. As, really? As a kid. Yeah. But that's another story. Okay. I, I didn't. So the sequel is actually a book as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. I thought because I I read the opening chapter of the the new one he wrote for Terrorland or whatever. Sure. And so maybe it, maybe I thought it took place right after this one. Maybe it takes place after the other one. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So I I got a little confused. You know, what was my favorite part of the episode hmm. catching all the stories, hearing the Canadian accent. Oh, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> I loved catching that. I didn't even pay attention. Next time you're going to have to go back and watch it. I'm going to, I'm not going to not count be the able stories. to notice them. Yeah, I'll, I'll, count, I'll be able to, that's all I'm going to hear What's next this time. What's this all about? <laughs> all right. So, um, we did this before. What was your, who was your favorite character? I mean, come on. Uh, Sabrina. Really? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I Carly mean, Bush. I would, I would have wanted to hear your reasoning. <laughs> no, I, she, between just her acting, the way she brought the character to life, in the in you're talking about the episode, right? In the episode, yeah. Got it. In the book, I'm a little hard pressed to find a favorite there. Oh, uh, it would have to be her as well, sure. but she's not as captivating as, she, as it acting wise and, and portrayal of the character as, as she is. No, Catherine Long did a great job. She did, yes. Has she, did she ever do anything after this? Oh yeah, she's done other things. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Apparently she. She's she's won the Canadian equivalent of an Oscar or something. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. I I have no idea what else she's done, hmm. but she is still apparently acting. Yeah, remember Steve and Chuck? <laughs> Who knows? They were just bullies for life. Who knows? <laughs> they got stereotyped. <laughs> well, my my favorite character. I really really want to say Carly Beth, mm-hmm. but my favorite character actually it's funny. Um, in the episode, it's her mom. Okay, because her mom is just ridiculously loving and caring mm-hmm. and supportive and she just makes me want to hug her <laughs> like she just she seems like a person i really just want to come home to and and like it reminds me of being a kid like she just reminds me of being a kid oh, okay. she's just like i made some uh, hot apple cider you know <laughs> was that her at the end i think it was probably the book but okay but i think she was, yes you're right it was her mom she's just really endearing in in especially the episode She's mm-hmm. she's more understanding in the episode than in the book. In the book, Carly Beth kind of reacts a little negatively to the face more. Yeah. And her mom's kind of disappointed in her reaction. Mm, okay. And is kind of hurt. But in the episode, her her mom seems a lot more understanding of Carly Beth and okay. where she's at emotionally and and I don't know she it was just something really endearing about her mom. Yeah. No, I can I can see it. I can see it. Like she's not in it a lot, but yeah. I mean, obviously Carly Beth is a great character and Catherine long is fantastic mm-hmm. but every every scene with her mom i was like i like her she's cool <laughs> cool great final thoughts you know what it wasn't bad for a yeah a goosebumps yeah. something i never in my life thought i would have read got it. it wasn't bad or watch the next one i want to do is welcome to the dead house but that'll be sometime next year for halloween <laughs> it's good to bounce around <laughs> Yes. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Willing to Adapt. Please like and subscribe. Maybe leave a review or just share us with friends and family. We would also love if you would follow us on social media. If you have ideas for future episodes for us, please email us at ericandromi at willingtoadapt.com. That's Romy with an I. And remember, when the only thing constant in life is change... 
be willing to adapt.